I've listened to Back in Black by ACDC for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James. With me is Connor. Bong. I've arrived. Yes, you have. <laughs> I heard a certain bell from a certain place announcing your arrival. You know, I didn't plan it, but I am wearing black for this Back in Black episode. I was part of a bells band. What? Like a bell choir? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for, choir. I was part of a bell choir. When? Played the bells. Really? Oh, Really? Everyone in the bell choir played bells. Yeah. It's funny that they call it a choir, though. What songs did you play? Did you play Hell's Bells on the bells? That'd be fun. No, we did not. That'd be actually insufferable to sit through a bell choir. We did some Christmas ones, and then we did some other random songs. We'd go out around to like, churches and stuff and perform. It was kind of cool. Do you know what notes your bells were? Uh, we jumped around. It was kind of a song-by-song basis because different songs use different bells uh, notes. Right. So I, I play different ones on different songs. It's really interesting, though, t- to like try to read sheet music in that way, right? Because it just looks like normal sheet music, but you're holding two bells in your hand. Sometimes you'll have a couple extra ones on the ground if you're really good at it, or like not on the ground, but like on the table in front of you for you to like swap out mid-song. Yeah, if you're a bell expert. Yeah, but you just be sitting there and you're following along with the song, and you're just you're just you know say you've got the A and the E, and you're just sitting there like A or E, A or E, A or E. There's an A. Bing, Bing. Yeah, <laughs> and like you're just looking for two specific notes and anytime they show up you gotta like keep the rhythm though so you know when to hit yours but you're only looking for certain notes it was weird it is weird i mean we used to do that in like elementary and middle school music classes yeah but it wasn't the same because the teacher would just hold up the color yeah and like with like normal sheet music like for like when i played the trumpet right it only had my parts so every note that i saw i had to play Whereas in here, I'm seeing everything, and one chord will be like five different bells, right? So you just got to be looking, be like, is there an A in that stack of five notes? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was very interesting. It is, and that's a little precursor to what you can expect when we get to Hell's Bells. Heck yeah. Remember that story for when we get to Hell's Bells. It'll, it'll be relevant. Connor's Bell Choir story will return. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about ACDC this week. For the first week in December, AC December. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that is good. Didn't plan that. I like that. I think ACDC is one of those bands where it's really easy to know a lot of their singles without even trying. If you go to events, if you go to places where there needs to be hype generated, if you watch a movie with an action scene, there's probably some ACDC around. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I know. I go to hockey games and like ACDC is like the goal song. It's everywhere. Except when the team gets shut out. I own this album. Like physically? Yeah, on CD. Whoa. I guess I don't know it's like a record, but I own, I own the, C- the CD. So then I guess you knew all 10 of these? Or have you listened to the CD? Those are very different things. Well, <laughs> listen to it. I own it. <laughs> but no, I haven't listened to it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I've listened to it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's a tough week when I find one that you know all the songs on. That doesn't happen much. Yep. But if you own the CD, I mean, that means you, you must like it, right? Gotta like it if I own it, right? No. Why else would I own it? I don't remember the first time I listened to ACDC. And I also don't own this album. I don't know if I own any ACDC music physically. I own two ACDC albums. Whoa, really? What's the other one? I, have, I went and pulled them off my shelf before we started. It is Black Ice. 
Oh, that's a strange kind of pick. Why? It's their 15th studio album. I think it came out when I got it in 2008. Yeah, why that one? (laughs) I think it was like a new ACDC album, and I was a fan of the one I had. And I was like, Mom or Dad, can I get the new ACDC album? And we were like, sure, 2008, Connor. That's just what they called me back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was my name. Now I'm 2023, Connor. (laughs) Not for long. (laughs) So you actually have a fun story that I'm going to force you to tell on the podcast about... (laughs) How you discovered ACDC. Oh, boy. I didn't know this until very recently. <laughs> we were guests on another podcast, and we the story came up, and I didn't realize. I almost maybe bought Black Ice because of this story, now that I think about it. Whoa. 2008 would have been around the time of this story. Yeah. So back in the day, <laughs> I was friends with 2008 Connor. Yeah, 2008 Connor and James were friends. That's right. <laughs> it's always been me. I've just known about 15 different Connors. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) One day, we're like at school. Yeah. As kids tend to be. Mm -hmm. And... We got talking about music and... It's definitely a thing that we've done long before this podcast existed. Yeah. Who really knows how we got onto the topic, who brought it up, but I remember you specifically, James introducing me to the song hell's bells which i don't remember at all like not even a sliver of memory i don't yeah i didn't think i knew hell's bells back then but i guess i did yeah you introduced it to me or at least you were the one who like play was playing and i don't know who brought it up you know maybe somebody else in the group brought up the song and because mm. you were friends with some other people from like boy scouts and stuff so who knows how we really got onto the topic but i know for a fact you were the one playing the song i'll take credit for it and you introduced me to it and i was like heck yeah this is an awesome song. I went home, and what I didn't realize, because I was a wee 2008 Connor, <laughs> this was obviously not a new song. No, no. <laughs> this, this song was 28 years older than 2008 Connor. To me, it was new. I had never heard it. You were listening to 28-year-old Hell's Bells. It was new to me. My my ears were ACDC virgins, and so I went home, and my dad was like, how was your day? And I was like, oh, dad. Get ready. Do I got a song for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to love this new song. It just came out. Oh, no. Did you Brand say it just new. came out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a new song. I can't imagine what your dad's like feelings would be like oh boy this is gonna be exciting this is gonna be so cool he'd only ever listen to like old school music right or at the time when i thought now i only listen to like old school music half the time it feels like but uh yeah like i was like oh man my dad's not cool he just listens to stuff from the 80s (laughs) and now i'm like 80s playlist (laughs) my dad's not cool he only listens to stuff from the 80s check out this song from 1980 (laughs) i know i know And I go, Dad, check it out. And I hit play, and he goes, bong. And he goes, oh, Hell's Bells. And I'm like, oh, you've heard this. Where did you hear this? this? He's like, 20-some years ago when it came out. On the FM radio? That's awesome. I was like, what? What a shock. So that was your start. That was your intro to acdc amazing yeah and so then i feel like because i got into acdc through that song and probably that's how i ended up with this album my dad probably bought me the album because of that story i think that's probably true and then the new one came out and I, and we bought that so here this is kind of like a full circle moment in our friendship except i i can't say that i'm showing you any of these songs for the first time I'm just giving you Hell's Bells again. Yeah. What to say, if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. I didn't study history because I didn't even know about that till after this was on the schedule. We were doomed. Yeah. 
Anyway, let's talk about ACDC. Let's do some learning. We're going down under this week. ACDC is an Australian band. Their music style is very largely inspired actually by what they heard in local Australian pubs. And it is not daggy in the slightest. Bring on the hoons. Bring out the hoons. ACDC is a hoon band. Who let the hoons out? ACDC. Oh, yeah, not daggy. That's Australian slang, if you didn't know. But in 1973, lead guitarists and brothers Angus and Malcolm Young decided they wanted to start a band. Whoa. Whoa, I know. They call up Colin Burgess, a drummer. They call up bassist and saxophonist Larry Van Crete. And they call up singer Dave Evans, who was actually a former bandmate of Malcolm's. They both played in a band called Velvet Underground, absolutely, completely, totally unrelated to Lou Reed and the American Velvet Underground. They were their own Velvet Underground. But, actually, they would go on to open for Lou Reed in 1974, which is another kind of wild full circle moment. But this new band starts playing glam rock and hard rock in nightclubs. Angus takes on this eclectic sense of style. He wears a bunch of different costumes. Heck yeah. Eventually, he landed on what's today his now iconic school uniform outfit. He said he wanted to look like someone that just left school and went to like band practice and that has stuck. And I I mean, it was like cool back in the 70s and still cool through like most of the time ACDC's been a band. And then like at some point they crossed the threshold of age where like, yeah, it's iconic, but it doesn't look cool anymore. Is that a hot take? Maybe. I feel like all the ACDC fans are going to get mad. Probably. Iconic though. Iconic. If it's cool, it's because he made it cool. But they covered a lot of blues and blues rock, you know, put that all in their repertoire. And their name, ACDC, actually came from a very unlikely source. It refers, as I'm sure you know, Mr. Engineer, it refers to electrical currents, alternating and direct currents. And those are two different things. Alternating current sometimes reverses direction and changes magnitude, while direct current flows pretty steady in one direction. Do you need to know that? No. Are you trying to engineer explain current to no, the engineer? No, to the audience. You're not the only person that's consuming what I'm saying. No, I'm consuming it right now, and that's all my brain can... That's all your brain can fathom? <laughs> Your brain is on direct current. Yeah. It's got a steady amount in one direction. That's it. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what I'm going to say, and I don't remember what I've said, all right? My brain lives in the present, the present only. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, that's stuff you don't need to know. There won't be a test, but it is kind of interesting to me. There will be a test. No, no. There's a whole test we're building. It'll be about... It'll be about current. It'll be about current. It'll be about my Hell's Bells story. It'll be... About the other thing that I said would come up during Hell's Bells that I already forgot about. <laughs> oh no, you're going to fail the test. Anyway, their sister Margaret had a sewing machine with a label on the power adapter. Heck yeah. Heck yeah to the sewing machine? You're just saying heck yeah. I mean, who doesn't like a sewing machine? I guess nobody. They're pretty cool. Does anybody, if you're out there listening and you don't like sewing machines, or I guess if you actively dislike sewing machines, it's probably a better way to put it. Hey. Yeah, if you, if you hate sewing machines, I guess that's not a heck yeah. Anyway, but Margaret, Sister Margaret has a sewing machine and there's a label on the power adapter detailing which currents it used. So the sewing machine said ACDC and they were like, hey, we love that. You know, we have a lot of energy in our music, a lot of power. Our live shows are electric. Let's use this little current thing as our name. So that's kind of the story behind it. it came from a sewing machine. Disgustingly, okay, this is another thing that I just despise. I have learned that in their native Australia, the band is colloquially known as Akadaka, and I cannot hate that more. I just don't like it. I love Akadaka. Really? 
I think it's awesome. It's just a fun thing to say, Akadaka. It is fun to say. The first time I said it out loud was just now when I complained about it, so half revoked. But yeah, their live shows were electric, and after gaining that reputation for a great live show, they hit the studio in 1974. But they had a couple of column epiphanies, and they had to kick Burgess and Van Crete out of the band. <laughs> they just weren't clicking right. They did some shuffling and some replacing. Malcolm takes on the rhythm guitar. They add members, including vocalist Bon Scott. Their first album, appropriately titled High Voltage, came out in 1974. They only spent 10 days recording it, and the Youngs were really the driving force behind the instrumentals. They pretty much left the lyrics and the melodies up to vocalist Bon Scott. They produced some hits, and their second record, TNT, which I really, really feel the urge to chant every time I talk about it. Who doesn't? I know. TNT came out in 1975, peaking at number two on the Australian charts. It's not as good. It's obviously not as good. It's just the best I can do given the circumstances, but it was more informative. The band's first proper international release was actually a compilation of the best songs from those first two LPs, confusingly also called High Voltage, though really it was mostly TNT because only two songs made the cut from the initial High Voltage. Over the decades, that compilation version would go on to be triple platinum in the u.s wow i know that's platinum 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 their third album dirty deeds done dirt cheap which is a great song title again i also still feel that every acdc song title i kind of feel the need to say in rhythm with what it is in the song but dirty deeds done dirt cheap got the same treatment it pulled in some older tracks for their very first international releases in 1976 funny enough it didn't come out in the United States until 1981, but then they dropped Let There Be Rock, they toured with Ozzy Osbourne in the UK, they fired their bassist again, and picked up Cliff Williams as a replacement, and they put out another pair of records by 1979, and they also started touring in the United States as support for big, big acts including Aerosmith, The Blue Oyster Cult, Styx, and Kiss, and they also toured with Cheap Trick, a lot of names you'll recognize. In 1979, their sixth record, Highway to Hell, really started to bring them American success. It was their first LP that made it into the Billboard charts, peaking at number 17, and they started to get to work on their seventh record, Back in Black, in 1980. But, tragically, before it was finished, Bon Scott passed away suddenly from acute alcohol poisoning. At that point, I mean, they straight up almost hung it up and disbanded. They almost called it quits. But Scott's parents came to the band and they said, look, like, he would really want you to carry on without him. Like, that's what you should do to honor his legacy because he would want that from you. So they pushed forward and they started auditioning new vocalists. They landed on Brian Johnson, former vocalist in the band Geordie, and he actually auditioned with a Tina Turner song that we've talked about before. Yeah? Nutbush City Limits. Oh. Which I can only imagine was an excellent fit for his voice. I would love to hear ACDC do Tina Turner. Yeah. Well, they really like Brian Johnson's unique style, and they especially wanted to honor... Bon Scott's memory, and not just bring in someone who is going to mimic or imitate him, they wanted someone who was going to take their sound in a new direction entirely, which I really respect. I think that's a cool way to go about it. But that new, different direction led them into the back and black we all know and love today. By April, Brian Johnson was officially part of the band, and they got to work finishing the record that they actually started a couple months earlier. They recorded Back in Black over a two-month stretch in Nassau in the Bahamas, which is pretty wild. 
they went that far away because it gave them some tax breaks that were too good to pass up. So much so that they even cut their rehearsals short by a week to make the recording happen. It was a little studio called Compass Point, and apparently at the time, it really wasn't much. Brian Johnson said it was hardly any kind of studio. We were in these little concrete cells. He said you had a bed and a chair. He said we had to lock the doors because the lady who ran the place warned them about these Haitians who'd come down at night and rob the place. So she bought us these six-foot fishing spears to keep at the door. That's the situation where they're recording this album. They also had trouble with customs, getting all their equipment and their gear from the UK. That was a whole mess. Not to mention, they were absolutely ravaged by tropical storms at the time, too, which would knock out the power all the time. Everything was wet and a mess. Johnson actually worked some of this into the lyrics, and we'll get into in a bit. But Back in Black is that signature, like, heavy pub metal kind of sound that they've become known for nowadays. But the new flair of Brian Johnson gave it a little extra kick or spark, a revitalization, whatever you want to call it. And it was Brian Johnson's first time recording with the band, of course. He was a little stressed. And their producer, Mutt Lang, did not help things much. He wanted the album to sound realistic and be pretty polished. So he made them do a lot, a lot, a lot of takes. He demanded perfection. Brian Johnson said that he would tell him, you know, you sang that note too long. There's no room for a breath. He had this thing where he wanted people to listen to the album down the road and say there's no way someone could sing that. They've dropped that in. Even the breaths had to be in the right place. And that's got to be hard on someone. I mean, you've heard Brian Johnson sing. I can't imagine what that must do to his voice. It's a unique voice, I think, for rock music. It is. Not much out there like it. What do you think? Good? Bad? Ugly. Well, maybe. (laughs) Could anyone but ACDC pull it off? And could ACDC pull off what they do with any other vocalist? Yes to the first one, no to the second. I think I agree. It's also funny just to like hear him talk and go into singing. I watched some videos of like, you know, when 2008 Connor was out there, I found some videos of 2008 ACDC and watched them live, you know, a couple decades ago. And it was interesting to hear his voice aged a little bit from what it is on this album. He's still going, so he must have figured out how to do the voice without too much damage, but wow. Back in Black came out on July 25th, 1980. It's a pretty rave reviews. Critics dubbed it the apex of heavy metal art, which is, I mean, what an accomplishment. What an honor. It topped the charts in Australia, Canada, France, and the UK, and while it only reached number four in the United States, it did stay on the charts for 585 weeks, more than a decade. It even actually served to pull some of their previous albums back into the charts because it was so popular. And all of that caused ACDC to become the first band since the Beatles, some 15 years earlier, to have four albums in the British Top 100 at once. Dang. I know. It's not a fact I would have expected to find. And not only is Back in Black the band's bestseller, the album is the fourth best-selling album of all time in America, and it's actually the very best-selling album that never topped the chart, which is a fun little trivia tidbit about this one. It's certified 25 times platinum in the United States, and worldwide it's moved more than 50 million units. It's the second best-seller ever worldwide, behind only Michael Jackson's Thriller, although it does trail Thriller by something like 20 million records. (laughs) So it's not close. But it's also 5 million ahead of the next closest records, which are Whitney Houston's The Bodyguard and the Connor-detested Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. This is pretty remarkable, considering that their previous album was only their first record to even break gold status in America. They really hit the ground running on Back in Black. 
In 2003, Rolling Stone named it the 73rd greatest album of all time and ranked ACDC, or Akadaka, at number 72 on their list of the greatest artists. Akadaka, 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 Akadaka. She's trading in her Chevy for a Cadillac, Akadaka. You ought to know by now. For an Akadaka, Akadaka. Oh, that's maybe the Spin It Award they should win. Billy Joel gets the Cadillac, Akadaka Award. Maybe they get the Cadillac, Akadaka Award. That's hilarious. Yeah. I like it. But that's the back in black circuit. How can you top the second best selling album of all time, you may ask? How do you follow up what some would call the greatest heavy metal record ever made? Well, you just can't. (laughs) You just quit. (laughs) You can't. And they tried. They really did. For those about to rock, we salute you and flick of the switch were okay, but they never quite hit the same. They never quite got the same public reception. They started trying to produce records by themselves without longtime engineer Mutt Lang. People started to call their music unmemorable, and they thought it was just getting repetitive or played out. In 1984, just four years after Back in Black, and while it was still very, very much on the charts in America, right, for like a decade, Kerrang! ranked ACDC the eighth biggest disappointment of the year. Dang! Which is unreal. I know. They fell off hard. And, you know, it led to some infighting and some lineup changes, and basically, the mid and late 80s were not too kind to ACDC. But the 1990s saw a little bit of a resurgence. Their record, The Razor's Edge, brought a couple new hits like Thunderstruck and Money Talks. Their huge 1992 world tour resulted in a live album and some notable festival appearances. And in the new millennium, they signed with Sony Music and embarked on a project that would actually remaster and re-release all their old works kind of as collector's editions. In 2014, Malcolm Young retired from the band due to illness. His last live appearance with the band was actually in 2010. He passed away at age 64 in 2017 due to dementia. In 2016, Brian Johnson, too, had a couple issues. The band was forced to postpone tours because he ran the risk of actual, like, total deafness if he continued playing live. So for the rest of that tour, they replaced Brian Johnson with Axl Rose, lead singer for Guns N' Roses, which I think is probably as great of a replacement as you would find. In my head, their vocals kind of have some similar qualities. But the band is still active as ever. Their most recent record, Power Up, came out in late 2020, and it features Brian Johnson, Angus and Stevie Young, Cliff Williams, and Phil Rudd. They've dropped hints at a full-scale tour in the next year or so, but we'll see how that pans out. To date, they've put out 18 studio albums and three live albums. They've earned 19 major awards on 30 nominations, including three Billboard Music Award nominations in 2021, of all times, seven APRA Awards. APRA is the Australian Performing Rights Organization. They've won just a single Grammy on seven Grammy nominations. And in 2013, Back in Black made it into the Grammy Hall of Fame. They've also earned an iHeartRadio Music Award, an MTV VMA, and two UK Music Video Awards. And they made it onto the ARIA, the Australian Recording Industry Association. They made it into their Hall of Fame in 1988, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2003, and more. They even have streets named after them in Spain and Melbourne. So that's ACDC. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And now it is time for, well, the mixtaper. F-O-S. F-O, yeah, F-O-S. Sure. <laughs> F-O-S-O. Foso, fo show. What comes after the last O? 
Only true fans will ever find out. Sure. Factor spin. The mixtaper is going to come. He's going to say something. I'm going to determine whether it's true or whether it's a lie. Sometimes the answer is we don't know. Sometimes, but it's rare. Everyone give a big, warm spin it welcome to the mixtaper. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, mixtaper. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You feeling ready to shoot to thrill? I'm I'm shooting the thrill this AC December. Yeah. (laughs) Mixtaper... I know we don't need to ask what you do for money, honey, because we all know you're here to pay off your student loans and you work at Starbucks part-time. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe tonight you can have a drink on me. Are you finished? Yeah. Sorry, I was just giving the dog a bone. Oh, come on. (laughs) All right, shake a leg. Let's do some facts. (laughs) Well, because you wasted so much time with all that, I think we need to get through this first one pretty quickly so i guess it's time for some fast fired facts wait really whoa <laughs> yeah it's fast fired facts is a rarity not often we find somebody that i can make a fast fired fact around no it's true but i bet there's a lot of acdc facts heck yeah what's the theme this time does it have is it like a rider is it a merch is it a something it is outfits angus young has worn outfits oh boy <laughs> before settling on his schoolboy uniform he tried many a different outfit i'm afraid and i have nine supposedly true outfits for you okay how many do i need the to threshold i don't know six we usually do two-thirds so yeah i guess you're allowed three misses three strikes and you're out sort of thing okay three strikes and i'm out of angus young's outfits yeah if you miss three You lose the point. Three strikes and you're out. Okay. Wow, we're starting with fast-fired facts. I wonder what the rest is going to be like. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of ready. All right. Up first, fast-fired facts. Rapid fire. Maybe one quick clarifying question if you need it. Yeah. But you shouldn't. Here we go. Rubber chicken. What if I need two quick clarifying questions? Okay, go ahead. I don't this time. I just wanted to use my clarifying question this time when I didn't need it to clarify that I could ask more questions in the future if I needed to. How dare you? Rubber chicken? Absolutely. That's a spin. Oh. Strike one. Uh-oh. Spider-Man. Spider-Man? <laughs> what if these are all spins? Oh, no. It's true. Spider-Man's true. That is a true fact. Okay. A scarecrow. Also a fact. Strike two. Really? And that's a spin. A gorilla suit. Gorilla suits are pretty popular. Phil Collins didn't do it, but we said he did. I think <laughs> this is true. That is a true fact. The Tin Man. Stop. You can't just name all the Wizard of Oz guys. <laughs> yes. The Tin Man. Strike three. Wait, you just lied about <laughs> both of the Wizard of Oz guys? You just lied about <laughs> both of them? Yeah. <laughs> I thought if one was alive, the other would probably be true. And that's why I did it, because I knew that for your logic. That was so mean. Wow. I mean, so I got through, what, five? Oh, man. I'll give you one more. If you, I'll give you a chance, because I originally said six. So I'll give you one more. Give you a bonus. That was a foul ball. Yeah, it was a foul ball. It was pretty... That pitch was in the dirt. So as a reminder, so far we've done rubber chicken, spin, Spider-Man fact, scarecrow spin, gorilla fact, Tin Man spin. Spin Man. Up next, Superman. Oh, all these superheroes. Yeah, I'll say yes to Superman. Superman is a fact. Okay. A cactus. Awesome. No, not a cactus. That is a spin. Good yeah. job. A Zorro mask. Zorro like the sword fighter guy? Yeah. Just the mask? Yeah, sure. Well, in cape, but yeah. That is a true fact. Lion costume. I hate you. I was just about to say I really bounced back in the second half, and here we are again with another <laughs> Wizard of Oz guy. One of them's got to be true, right? I don't know. That's for you to decide. 
if it's wrong, if I say true and it's wrong, this is going to be the, the dumbest thing I could have possibly done. But I think it's true. There's a reason you went down the, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow rabbit holes, and I think it's because it really was a lion. Strike four. That's a spin. Really? I'm furious. Why did she do this to me? That exact reason. All three. So, uh, and that was the last one. That was the last one. I could have won. Oh, man. You missed all three of the Wizard of Oz ones. You're right. Those were three of my four strikes. And then rubber chicken. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know why you couldn't just call that a regular chicken. Because it would have looked like a rubber chicken. Well, but rubber chickens look like regular chickens. Yeah. Well, not quite, but... but yeah. Boy, that was horrible. I guess that's no point for me. No point for you, one point for me, the mixtape. Yeah. Hey, I'm back. Sorry, I had to leave. Okay. This is a quick quick break. Yeah. Quick break to go down to my bomb shelter. What? You have a bomb shelter? Yeah, because ACDC's music was used in a nuclear attack. Used in a nuclear attack? That's what I'm telling you. That's pretty wild. Like a nuclear attack in a movie? No. In real life, someone played ACDC's music during a nuclear attack. Yeah. What nuclear attack? I mean, all the high-profile ones were in 1945. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is less of a nuclear attack in the sense of, like, attacking with nukes and more of an attack on a nuclear facility. Oh, well, that's deliberately misleading and very different. Yes. <laughs> what nuclear facility was being attacked? An Iranian nuclear facility. Okay, who's doing the attacking? A hacking virus group. A virus group hacked? Yeah, like a hacking group that got a virus onto Iranian nuclear facility computers. Yeah, and does the virus play ACDC on their computers? Oh, it sure does. It not only suspends all current actions that the computers were doing you know like monitoring and regulating the nuclear facility and causes it to blast out of all of their speakers thunderstruck that's a pretty baller hack attack choice wow what's the consequence of this surely that like causes some international tension right yeah it was probably a big deal probably what what year was this (laughs) We didn't establish. 2009. Oh, 2008 Connor was dead by then. <laughs> 2008 Connor didn't live to see this. <laughs> 2009 Connor was just getting started. Yeah, apparently. Ooh, 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 ooh. Used a nuclear attack. I think this is mm, tricky because saying it's a nuclear attack. Why would you say that? Why would you come up with that? I didn't. It's a true fact. I know. I What a hack. Seems kind of plausible. Mm. This is a spin. I don't think this is true. This is a spin. Yeah. Yeah, at least in real life. Maybe it is like some sort of movie thing. I don't think this happened in real life. Oh, I I took a movie and tried to say it was real. Well, maybe. I don't know. You're very astute. I don't know. Is that the word? That's not the word I want. Astute means that I'm noticing. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. Maybe that is the word I want for you. It kind of works in that context. But also, it totally doesn't because this is a true fact. Wow. Nuclear attack. Yes. I thought maybe that's what like your game was. Was that you framed it in such a ludicrous way to get me to overlook that it was a spin? Nope. This is a ludicrous true fact. This was during the 2009-10 cyber attack on Iran. Such a big event that it had its own Wikipedia page. Yeah, apparently. So I assume it was like a series of attacks. I didn't really go too deep down that rabbit hole. But yeah, a nuclear facility was hacked and given a virus. They've been thunderstruck. Which, again, baller move by the hackers. What a song to pick. That's that's wild. Well, I think, um, you know, 
I'm sorry. I was still just thinking about Fast Fire Effects and how much fun that was. That was. Uh, yeah, I know. That was. We don't get to play it very often. I was reflecting on that too. <laughs> We've played it a lot recently. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll give you a second shot. How about another round of Fast <laughs> Fire Effects? No, no, please. Really? Yeah. What? Okay. I've got more outfits. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> ah! Now, this is a Fast Fire Effects for pre-show routines of bon scott bon scott has several pre-show routines okay had i guess that could be potentially a lot what are what are the odds this time what are we looking at i got eight of them for you okay so i have to get one right to win (laughs) three strikes and you're out five you gotta get five of the eight five of eight sounds fair that's one over 50%, basically. That is not basically, actually. Are you ready? I'm ready. This one, you might want a couple clarifying questions. I'm glad you practiced on the outfits one. Yeah, I think I might. He would tape down the fringe of his hair with scotch tape after a shower to keep it from curling too much. Fringe? What part is the fringe? It's like the like the part that would curl on like the end of your hair. Okay. <laughs> What kind of tape? Scotch tape. Oh, yeah. Okay, you said that. Because I thought, Scott tape. It was a very funny joke in my head that I didn't say out loud. <laughs> now I said it out loud in a very unfunny context. I think that's true. That is a true fact. Not the kind of thing you'd make up, especially when you couldn't tell me what a fringe was very well. He would gargle with red wine and honey to help retain the raspy edge to his voice. Red wine and honey sounds like a wild combo. Gargling honey sounds like torture. Yikes. I think this is true. That is a true fact. He would iron his pants on the backstage bar to give them a prominent crease. He would do it himself. That's interesting. And what if the backstage didn't have a bar? The backstage always had a bar. (laughs) The backstage always had a bar. I think this is also true. That is a true fact. Okay. I got all my spins out in the first round. (laughs) He would sing show tunes to warm up. Good one. That one doesn't seem true. I'm going to say that one's a spin. Is a true fact. Oh, well, it's one strike. He's a big fan of show tunes, actually, surprisingly. That's cool. Well, the theatrics of the band. I guess it makes sense. He would suck on pickled pig's feet. Quit it. What kind of a, <laughs> what kind of a thing is that? They're very tasty, actually. What's the purpose of sucking on a pickled, p- pig's, pickled pig's foot? They taste good. But he just do it for for the taste? Yeah, it's like a little pre-show snack. Is that what you do? Do you suck on them? Are they to be eaten? Yeah, you suck on them. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, this is true. No? Yes, this is true. This is strike two, a spin. I thought it was so ridiculous. <laughs> there's no way you could have made it up. It's twice you've thought that and twice you've been wrong for different reasons. It's true. But it's not true. That's the problem. <laughs> he would write thank you notes to the arena staff. I choose to believe that that's true. That's a very nice thing to do. Strike three. That's a spin. Oh, no. Well, there goes your point. That's my third strike. <laughs> I was doing really good. That you was were. a good start, though. You did have a good start. We have one left. No, you got two left. Okay. That makes me feel a little better. Didn't die at the finish line again. Yeah. He would arm wrestle his bandmates. Did they get into it, too? Or were they like, all right, let's get this over with? Yeah, it was a way to build like adrenaline before they went out on stage. Build adrenaline? Yeah, sure, true. Why not? That's a spin. Strike four. Uh, that's why not. <laughs> and he would comb his arm hair. 
That's that one's ridiculous. No way. Yeah, that's true. And that's a spin. <laughs> Strike oh, five. The, the ridiculous ones. It's nice to know that I wouldn't have won either flipping way. <laughs> you got the three true ones I started with, and all the spins you missed. <laughs> I just, I just thought they'd be a little better spread out. That's wild. I they were so unbelievable. I had to believe them. I thought those were all pretty good. Thought I did a good job coming up with those. They were. But that puts you in shutout territory, my friend. Yeah, it does. As we go into our final fact. Man, it's weird that it's a shutout and I've got eight questions right. <laughs> Just for the record. So I think I'll give you, you know, third time's the charm. Uh, one more. Stop. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Oh, I would be. That'd be really bad. I'm not on my Fast Fire Facts game today. No, you're not. But are you on your Merry Christmas game? Oh, it is the first day of December. AC December. AC December. What are the odds that you knew that? You don't ever know when the episodes come out. I don't. (laughs) Anyway, what's the fact? What's the Christmas fact? Bon Scott says Merry Christmas from the grave. Okay, morbid. How do you mean? With Christmas cards. you. But he doesn't write thank you notes to everyone in the arena, but you expect me to believe he writes <laughs> Christmas cards from the grave. Yeah, this may or may not have been what inspired my thank you cards. <laughs> yeah, so does he write them like, I say he is in like quotation marks. Do people still receive Bon Scott Christmas cards like today? Or was this like a year or two afterwards? Today, they received them from the band, but in his memory. But he did okay. send some out from the grave once. <laughs> once shortly after his death yeah that he made before he passed away yeah in 1979 bon scott posted you know out his christmas cards in the mail something he did every year because he's a big fan of christmas mm-hmm. but he didn't pay enough postage and so the cards got delayed and arrived late and didn't get to people until the february march time frame and he passed away in february of 1980 so some people got their card from him after like the funeral and everything oh yeah and if the band still does it today in his memory that's nice yeah because he was such a big fan of christmas they they send out christmas cards to big supporters of the band and stuff in his memory what other big Christmassy things did he do was it just a bunch of christmas cards uh i don't know maybe there was more i did not go digging for that information sure he underpaid on his postage how many cards was he sending out i mean probably a lot from like how the article read okay that's what i kind of figured well it's ac december i'm gonna choose to believe we're ending on a fact on a fact yeah i think that is what this is and i think that this week we have another shutout week this is a spin oh Oh, no you spun me all night long (laughs) i spin you all night long i had that joke queued up before you even told me the first fact and it really kind of worked out that i didn't get anything right and got to use it at the end but i really was hoping i wouldn't (laughs) that was mostly a true fact Everything I told you about the Christmas cards going out late after he died, that was true. Ben does not send out Christmas cards in his name. That's it? Yeah. But Bon Scott did say Merry Christmas from the grave. Oh, come on. It's all we. That is, that's a mean one. You just did that. I'm a mean one. Like solely. Mr. Mixtaper. (laughs) You did that solely so that you could get the shutout. 
Not true. I even said Bon Scott says Merry Christmas from the grave. That implies he's still doing it. Not that he said it one time. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Touche. You got a good point. Well, congratulations. This is your second shutout in six episodes. I'm getting better at them. Yeah. Does this bring us back to 50-50 for the year? Because you kept greedily pulling ahead? Or are you still ahead? <laughs> I don't know. When did the year start? That actually, believe it or not, puts you in the lead on the year. Whoa! There have been 82 questions. I have been correct on 40 of them, which means you've got the other 42. However, that does not include the three presents from our Mixtober stream. No. Which I correctly guessed. Did you? (laughs) Yes. Mixtaper, I'm not happy, but that's what I signed up for. So I'm very happy. Yeah, congratulations on this week. I'm not happy about having to go against Connor again next week. Oh, yeah, you never do well against him. He's my secret weapon. Yeah, but I'm hoping I maybe have him figured out this this time. Yeah? I think I think I might get him. I think you might, too. We'll have to see what he knows. But I'm excited to watch it all play out next week on Spin It Pod, the podcast where we spin it. On the pod. Yeah. <laughs> Till then. Yeah! Oh, boy. Well, that was not my finest hour. Yeah, you're really putting the pressure on me next week. I really am. That's not my intent. I'm sorry. You're all the time being like, oh, we need to play Fast Fire Facts more often. And then you go and blow two of them. <laughs> I don't think I say that all the time. He's even nice and gave you an, a freebie, a foul ball on the first one. He gave me a freebie because he wanted me to trip over the lion. I know it. And you did. He played you like a fiddle. Yeah. Let's talk about the album art on Back in Black. Actually, I have a surprising amount to say about it, given that it is the words back in black on a black background. First of all, what do you think? It's the words back in black on a black background. That's a pretty accurate thing to think. Very literal. Big fan of the lightning bolt. The lightning bolt is great. Yes. So their logo uses this high voltage lightning bolt to represent the typical slash that would go in between AC and DC. It's just brilliant. That font and the logo of the lightning bolt was designed in 1977 by Gerard Huerta, and it's appeared on pretty much every release since, excluding the international versions of Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Otherwise, that's really the ACDC logo through and through. But the album cover is black, all black. Not only is that meant to refer to the song, of course, but it was also a so-called sign of mourning for Bon Scott. Atlantic Records, their label, did not love it because who's going to buy a record with a cover like this? There's nothing to it. It doesn't jump off the shelf at you. But they agreed to let the band do it as long as they put a gray outline around their logo and didn't just leave it all black, which is what they initially had wanted to do. Definitely a hard album cover to make graphics for, for the Instagram post. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where do we put our logo in that? Yeah. Great question. Are you ready to talk about some noise pollution? Nah. Good idea. Because this is rock and roll and rock and roll ain't noise pollution. We got a nice easy 10 tracks to talk about today. I love a good 10 track album. It feels tight. feels like there's no wasted space, you know? And up first is the song that blew 2008 Connor's mind. Hell's Bells. Try to think back. All right, I'm in the I'm in the headspace. Okay. Bong, Dad, check this out. Bong, <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> Dad, Bong. check this out. I'm an idiot. Oh, well, you did give a good song though. At least it wasn't a bad song that you showed him. Imagine that if you'd showed him like a bad '80s song, like Dad, check this out, and you come home with like. Is there any such thing? Mm, I don't know. What if you came home though and it was like Karma Chameleon? That one would you'd never live down. I love that song. <laughs> 
I mean, I, it's grown on me a lot. What a way to start off a record with a giant bell, giant bong. I think it's great. It's great, right? Their original plan for that sound was to use a bell called the Denison Bell, which is in a bell tower in England, but they realized that it disturbed the local pigeon population too much. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. They sent the pigeons racing. So what they did instead is they actually made a Hell's Bell. It's made from a literal ton, 2,000 pounds of cast bronze, and they took it with them on their Back in Black tour. So there's a a one-ton Hell's Bell out there that they bring and that they recorded for this bit of the song. It was written to commemorate Bon Scott's death, a little morbid, but... You know, they were kind of having writer's block for the song at first. They were sitting there in Nassau, in the Bahamas, going, man, I don't know what to do for the verses of this song. I don't know how to write it. But suddenly, a tropical storm whips up out of nowhere. You know, lights are flickering, winds whipping. Suddenly, Brian Johnson goes, I know what to do. <laughs> and and instantly, he comes up with, I'm a rolling thunder, pouring rain, coming on like a hurricane. White lightning's flashing across the sky. Like, boom, full picture. He's got the verses right there. It's a good song. It's so good. I know. The speaker in this song is like some kind of vice, right? Some kind of evil thing that's tempting you. And it's jarring that it's so blunt, right? It doesn't sugarcoat itself at all. You're only young, but you're going to die. I don't take prisoners. I'm going to get you and take you to hell. Like, dark and morbid and, like, concerning. Very dark. But this thing still seems to know that its target can't resist. And the fate that it describes feels really inevitable. This song was on Guitar Hero 3, fun fact. (laughs) Was it? I figured you'd know some ACDC from Guitar Hero, if nothing else. Wasn't that, like, a Guitar Hero ACDC, like, game that was, like mainly acdc songs but with some other rock songs thrown in oh yes it's probably on that too that sounds familiar for a minute i thought you were gonna say it was on bell hero like your bell choir (laughs) (laughs) like i said hell's bells on the bells hey we did say that that would come back up in the song so there we are obligation fulfilled it's true we brought it back up we're not to the test yet though no 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 that's coming i'll tell you what right off the bat i'll say it now most of these songs boy i could not care less about the verses right like the reason that you're here and the reason that i'm here the reason that a lot of us are here are for the choruses heck yeah and they do such a good job of making a chorus that's i mean iconic memorable sing-alongable for a stadium full of people and it follows the instrumentals so perfectly right the the instruments almost sing along with the chorus it's impressive it's especially noticeable on things like what do you do for money you shook me all night long like you could hear the instruments moving in tandem with the vocal and it's really cool it's true true indeed but that's hell's bells what do you think about shoot to thrill shoot the thrill a lot higher energy a lot faster than hell's bells indeed this is a song with some undertones no he's not really talking about a gun what's he talking about he's talking about ask your dad but he's talking about getting with women for the thrill of it you Whoa. know heck yeah heck- <laughs> 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 it's fine it's a fine song lyrically it's a little light honestly they don't even push the gun metaphor too far they say pulling the trigger and they say he's shooting really kind of a weak gun metaphor if if you're asking me but man the song sings great the energy is unmatched am i missing something 
Is there some other layer to the gun metaphor that's not just substituting out a few words? Hardcore fans seem to think so. Yeah. I just, I have that problem a lot with this album. We'll hit it in a few more places where a metaphor just feels like it's there to be there. Like they don't ever explore it. They didn't want to actually write a song about shooting someone. No, they didn't want to get in trouble for writing a sex song. Yeah. So they wrote a gun song where they just swap the word sex for gun. Yeah. Like, like it's a little bit ridiculous. And it happens other times on this album. I just feel like you got to commit. There's so many cool things you could do with that metaphor that they just kind of leave on the table yeah like one in the chamber sure anything like instead they say keep coming and put your hand out to me because i'm the one who's gonna make you burn like a gun like okay anyway i don't mean to dog on shoot to thrill because what again a fun chorus what a blast it's just a little wild but those two songs i mean that first two we start off with some of the, the most popular tracks on the album as far as you know our beloved spotify plays metrics go what do you do for money honey starts a pretty steep drop off for a bit in the middle of this album yeah but it's still got a really good chorus it does is it a deserved drop off was gonna be my question honey what, what do, do you do, do for money I know, right? it's and I like that the title is flipped. Yeah, I was just about to say, I don't like that the title is flipped. Oh, really? Oh, I like it. I would just leave off the honey in the title. You don't need it. Nah, I think What Do You Do For Money, Honey is a good title. I like the money, honey, at the end of it. Yeah, it's it's passable. I'll allow it. It's, uh, you know, the speaker's talking to a woman who seemingly lives beyond all her means. She's got a lot of money and it doesn't make sense. She's working in a bar, but she's got a great apartment. She rides in cars. Ooh. So he thinks she must be getting something. Either she's a gold digger or she has some less public sources of income. But I think the real interesting part about what do you do for money, honey, is the, like that's the question we're left to fill in the blanks and answer is like, why do you think this guy's asking? What's his motivation? Think he's just curious? Do you think he's offering money? Do you think he's trying to feel out the situation? Think he's criticizing? There's so many options. So many. So many reasons you could ask somebody what they do for money, honey. What do you do for honey money? Oh. How do you afford all that honey you buy? I sell it. You, you flip honey. What you do for honey money is sell honey. It's actually kind of the other way around. I sell honey to the stores and then I go buy it back. At a markup? Yeah. I'm hemorrhaging money. It's a bad business model. <laughs> I'm hemorrhaging honey. What do you do for money is a good thing to ask a, like a person who runs an apiary because then they could say, honey. Oh. What do you do for money? Honey. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a call and response. Maybe this is about a beekeeper. <laughs> what do you do for money? Honey. <laughs> and then they like didn't hear them so they repeat it. What do you do for money? Where do you get your kicks? Yeah. Up next, the downward spiral continues with giving the dog a bone. Okay, how many of these songs are going to be like sex disguise songs? So many, so many. I'm so sorry. We've got Shoot the Thrill. We've got What Do You Do for Money, Honey? That feels like a proposition. It feels like a proposition, yeah. Giving the dog a bone, certainly another metaphor. And we'll get there, but it's followed up with Let Me Put My Love Into You. It's like, oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> giving the dog a bone. Giving the dog a bone. It's not hard to unravel. There is no dog okay that's the there is no dog oh he's a dog and and here's my real problem with this song okay here's my real problem with giving the dog a bone i was looking i was going through it they go back to the gun metaphor <laughs> till my ammunition is dry come on put that in shoot to thrill where it belongs do one metaphor at a time 
If we're rolling with dog metaphor, there's no ammunition in a bone, okay? Chill. The only way they know how to talk about sex is through guns. It's through other <laughs> objects, but other objects that, like, not in the way the other object is used, they just, like, straight up cut and paste other things. Yeah. I just realized, are they calling the woman a b Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I see what's happening here. Yeah. It's wild. And they can't keep a metaphor straight. I mean, we get into verse two. It's also just a wild one. It's got nothing to do with dogs. <laughs> She's no Mona Lisa. Is Mona Lisa some sort of sex symbol? Is that what he's getting at? I've never got that impression. I know somebody else who's no Mona Lisa. She's untamable and unframable. Ingrid Andrus. You're taking that way back. Yeah. That's episode 27. That's like 98 episodes ago. Yeah. That one's on the playlist. So I hear it a lot so that one I remember we have we've recently we've recently we've talked about Mona Lisa in the past yeah she was not some sort of sex symbol in that song and she's not some sort of sex symbol in this song she is no playboy star literally Brian Johnson I also just the line she'll send you to heaven and then explode you to Mars is another line that just sends me because what <laughs> given the dog a bone she'll explode you to Mars give up man just like <laughs> lyrically this album is it's a mess of mixed metaphors it's a bit of a mess it is but the song itself is so catchy it's a metaphor it's metaphor soup metaphor soup yeah that's true but you just got to chant all the choruses and they rock so hard it feels wrong to find fault with this album but some of these are certified buffoonery yeah although i do like the metaphor soup idea when we get to the next song well just the idea of put, trying to put his love into the mona lisa like, no, I'm just imagining. Oh, no, you're putting all the metaphors together. <laughs> yeah, it's metaphor soup. Let me put my love into the gun. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you with my love. Right. It's it's silly. And that could go right into shot through the heart. Like, I shot you through the heart with my love. Oh, that's a whole different band. Yeah. Let me put my love into you. Can this even be called double entendre? Sure. It's kind of just out there. It's not really very camouflaged at all. It's so double entendre that it's just tendre again. It's just just an entendre. No, it's just tendre. Let, okay, uh, ready for another stupid metaphor? Yep. Just in this context? Let me cut your cake with my knife. Heck yeah. How does that have anything to do with the song? It's not a stupid metaphor in general, but in relation to the theme of let me put my love into you, it's bad. It's bad. He's going to lick that icing. He's going to mash that cake all over his face. And look, I didn't even notice this. And the gun metaphor is back again. All those reputations blown to pieces with my artillery. It's back in black. It is back in black. Yeah. Let me put my gun into love. Let me shoot your cake. Let me shoot your cake. <laughs> shoot your cake with a bone. In front of the Mona Lisa. Really, though. It might as well say that. Ridiculous. <laughs> I wonder if it was like a bit of a spoiler for you that their choruses are so long and repetitive sometimes. Like that's one of their ingredients in the ACDC cookbook is a silly metaphor and a long chanty repetitive chorus. Heck yeah. Is that good? Is that a good heck yeah? Oh, just a heck yeah to the like we're figuring out the recipe. Oh, heck yeah to figuring out the rest. That's true. But no, it was not a heck yeah to the repetitive chorus. But it's very catchy. You have to kind of forgive it. Yes, I know. That's it. The melodies, the rock of this album covers a multitude of sins. Maybe not a multitude. Maybe that's putting it a little harshly, but... It's a multitude. Yeah, that's true. But a song with which I can find no fault is Back in Black. I think nothing about Back in Black is bad. Really? Got a title track. 
Track six. Title track! And it's another track commemorating Bon Scott. But they didn't want it to be morbid and sad and a bummer like Hell's Bells. They wanted this one to be a celebration. So Back in Black is what they came up with. The leading theory, though there seems to have been some discussion about this, but the leading theory is that it's written from Bon Scott's perspective. He's back from the dead saying Merry Christmas, and he's here to party. And it makes sense if you think about it. I hit the sack. You know, I died. It's been too long. I'm glad to be back. He's resurrected. Let loose from the noose. Got nine lives. Like he's come back. You know, that makes sense to me. But we got to talk about that opening riff, right? Holy crap. One of the most iconic and instantly recognizable riffs in rock music, really. It's good. It's a good opening riff. The opening riff is the brainchild of Malcolm Young, who was worried it might be too funky. Turns out it's not. Also fun fact, too. Apparently, it was the first thing Nirvana's Kurt Cobain learned to play on the guitar. Oh, wow. The other thing about Back in Black is a song that never fails to increase my speed while I'm driving. Whatever my starting speed was, it's a little higher by the time we're halfway through Back in Black. I think it's a deserved title track. I think it is. I think it's definitely the best combination of like energy and everything on this album. Lyrically and musically, Back in Black just does it all right. And then we get another big hit with You Shook Me All Night Long. Yeah. This was actually the first song Brian Johnson wrote as the new lead singer. Nice. Yeah, he said that the boys had a title. Malcolm and Angus said, we've got this song, it's called Shook Me All Night Long. And if you listen to the chords, the chords just fell into place. So I can't claim any credit on that. It was just the thing that came at the time, and I still think it's one of the greatest rock and roll riffs I've ever heard in my life. So high praise from Brian Johnson. And it certainly was a big hit. Made it to number 35 on the Hot 100 in the U.S., and it also ended up at number 10 on VH1's list of the greatest songs of the 80s. This is uh, the first song, I think, that actually kind of holds pretty closely to its metaphors a little bit. I mean, she kept her motor clean. Like, I can get that because the motor, you know, an engine revs. It's got a certain rumble to it, like an earthquake, like shaking walls. She's working double time on the seduction line. They're really just not hiding it anymore. No, 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 no. They do push the metaphor thing. Metaphor soup comes back in verse two. Just another course made a meal out of me and came back for more. But you know what? Whatever. We all know what this one's about. But apparently you had to cool them down to take another round. So the leftovers were hotter than the original somehow. Hey, you know, you're right. That's <laughs> it's interesting. And now he's back in the ring. Here's the thing. I think with the other songs, my problem is that they set out like they're trying to do a metaphor. And then they just can't keep it. And then they fail. But this one, they're just like, yeah, let's just make every... It's one of those songs where like every line is like a different metaphor. And that's acceptable. You shook me all night long. Yeah, we like we know what it's about. We know what to expect going in. And so the metaphor soup doesn't taste as bad. <laughs> it was so hot, I had to cool it down to move on to have a drink on me yeah i do think you shook me all night long is a lot funnier if you think of it literally yeah same i was thinking just, of that too i was literally i was literally just sitting here thinking about somebody grabbing somebody and just shaking them just by the shoulders like while they're asleep jostling him all night i like, try to sleep and... please please the walls the earth my mind is aching i just want to go to bed i'm just getting shook i'm shook but yeah have a drink on me is up next I like the opening riff to this one, too. I know. It's so good. <laughs> it's so fun. It's a song about drinking. No metaphor here, either. Seems like they're all just raising a glass in a bar somewhere, having an absolutely wild time. And I think one of the hidden gem lyrics on this album 
is from this song. Forget about the check, we'll get hell to pay is incredible. Like, mind-blowingly incredible compared to so much other stuff here. Dang. Have a Drink on Me is another one where the, the melody follows that chorus. Spot on. If you hear them play Have a Drink on Me, you sing along with it in your head. Shake a Leg is up next. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's not, but it might as well be a literal song about a problem child who's kicking everything. He's just a juvenile on the street kicking everything with his feet. What if it was? What if it was just about a rogue kicker? Why would it be a rogue kicker? Well, because of the second line in the first verse. He's kicking everything with his feet. He's an idle juvenile who's got nothing better to do than to kick everything. Oh, fair enough. That's what I want the song to be. This song annoys me a little bit. Really? Why? Well, just the, it's in the first two lines, how it goes on the street, on the street, with his feet, with his feet. It was like unnecessary. You don't like it? It kind of, to read the lyrics reminds me of the Go-Go's. We got the beat. <laughs> we got the beat. <laughs> but yeah, we got the beat. Yeah, shake a leg. I don't know. Shake a leg's fun in the chorus. The rest of the places, it's... Is the gun metaphor back on this one? How do you interpret the word magazine in magazines, wet dreams? Definitely not in the gun way. <laughs> really, this song is about trying to spur this idle juvenile, this little daggy boy, to engage in a little hoonery, to shake a leg, to get wild, to, to turn it up and go off the rails. One line that I love, but also that makes me laugh a lot, because it just feels silly. They tell me what they think, but they stink, and I really don't care. Like, it's just funny that this heavy metal rock band that's singing very thinly veiled songs about sex, drugs, rock and roll decides to put in this line, all these people stink. Like, it doesn't live up to the image that they've built. This one kind of didn't do it for me. No, I don't blame you. We're getting to the end of the album. We've been through... I think the best of what Back in Black has to offer. I just looked. They didn't do it for a lot of people. It's the least played song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those beloved Spotify plays. So beloved. But up last, Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution closes out the album. Honestly, a perfect closer track out of these 10. Oh, that's why you said Noise Pollution earlier. Yes. I missed that one. I don't know how. I don't know how either. But it did seem like you didn't get the joke at the time. Yeah. I thought you were kind of playing into it when you said no, but it turns out you just didn't understand and were trying to go along with a bit you didn't get. I said no because I didn't get it. I I say no to things you don't understand. That's what I tried to do. In fact, your spin, I said spin and didn't work out. Spin isn't no. You should have said no. Do you think he'd let that happen? Only one way to find out. I guess. But yeah, Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution, believe it or not, this was actually the highest charting song from the album in the UK. It reached number 15, and it seems unreal to me that this could be the highest charting song from the album anywhere. One of the oldest, I think most tired complaints about rock and roll is how loud it is, right? It feels like no matter what, people have been saying rock and roll is so loud from the beginning of rock and roll. Just turn it down. But it ain't noise pollution. Yeah, why you gotta play it so loud? Crank it down. Pipe down, rock and roll. Pipe down, honestly. But rock and roll ain't noise pollution. You gotta play it loud, play it proud. I love the intro to rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Not so much the dialogue, but the guitar part. Actually, Johnson did allegedly improvise that opening monologue on the spot. So that's cool. But there you have it. That's Back in Black, the album and the song. 
Before we get into Final Spin, I need to know from you, what's the best metaphor on this album? We've got the gun, we've got the dog of the bone, we've got cutting the cake with the knife, we've got keeping the motor clean, we've got... I think the best metaphor... It's the friends we made along the way. It's just all the sex stuff that they didn't even bother to cover up. Oh, you think <laughs> it's the, it was no metaphor at all? Because all the actual metaphors sucked. <laughs> it, they were pretty bad. And they might have been better off just to not even bother, I think. Just to not even try with those. But let's get into Final Spin then. Give some scores. Musically, 86. Sing-alongable. Tons of fun. Great choruses. Verses kind of fall a little bit shorter. But whatever. You know, you're here for the chorus. Like I said, that's why we all came. Lyrics, 78. It's... There's just too much metaphor soup. The mixed metaphors never do it for me. And in this case, I don't even think they mix them like well. They're not even thoroughly fleshed out when they start trying to mix them. No, there's still like some solids in there that didn't get mixed in. Yeah. Yeah, it's lumpy. It's a lumpy album. Right. But there are some gems, some gems of lyrics like there'll be hell to pay. Give us the tab on have a drink on me or mostly the entirety of back in black and hell's bells. Some really intriguing, really good stuff. So I'm giving lyrics a 78. Instruments in production, 83. Samey, a little bit. To listen to this whole album in one sitting, they have one guitar tone. There's an ACDC guitar tone, (laughs) right? And that's all you hear. There's little variation in the instruments. They're good, and it sounds clean and crisp. It's produced pretty well, but there's a noticeable lack of variation. And the overall vibe, this is a hard rocking album. Maybe one of the most rocking albums we've talked about on the podcast in 125 episodes. Which, by the way, wow, 125. We're like a quarter of the way to our next 100, which is weird to think about. That is weird. Mm -hmm. The overall vibe gets an 84 from me, and that puts the overall score for the album at an 83.9, which feels surprisingly low in my mind. But honestly, like if I don't think about what I would score this album, I like it a lot better. When I do look at this album critically and kind of hold a magnifying glass up to it even a little bit, it kind of starts to slightly fall apart. Its overall placement on the list is at number 341, tied with and slightly below Janis Joplin and Cheap Thrills, and one-tenth of a point below Toto 4, Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication, and Twisted Sisters Stay Hungry in that order. And it's just above Murmur by R.E.M., which is funny because I remember liking that album a good deal less than I like Back in Black. But hey. But hey. They're still close together. That's going to do it for my scores. What are you thinking? Is this album that you own physically and have known all your life since 2008 at least going to be a good scorer? 2008, Connor, set me down a path. Yeah, well, let's see if 2023 Connor can continue to walk it. Where the path leads, only my score will tell. I like this album. That's good. Well, I catch you songs. Would you own it if you didn't like it? I, I'm going to say I was surprised by the score I gave this one. Surprised how? Good way, bad way. Guess we'll find out. Given this one, six heck yeahs out of ten. Whoa. Oh, wow. That is a surprising score. I really did not expect you to say a six right there. Yeah. What what brought that on? I went into this thinking it would be a nine. I mean, I own it. <laughs> yeah, you own it. I, I am a little... Maybe I should change my unit to six I own it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we'll do. Yeah, so you flipped your nine upside down. Yeah, this nine... Turn that nine upside down to six I own it. Why? I just don't like it as much as I remember liking it. Whoa. For a lot of the reasons we talked about. Lyrically, it's a mess. It has catchy choruses and some good opening guitar riffs. 
That's about it. It is. It doesn't have the staying power. These songs don't have like the staying power. They do in the chorus. I don't even know if they do there. I feel like like really i had not thought about this album since 2008 connor bought it i feel like i don't know like i acdc in general as a band is just a band i don't find myself thinking about or getting caught stuck in my head randomly or like Whoa. journey you know i brought journey i'll find myself just singing journey songs all the time or bon jovi or uh even aerosmith you know i'll find myself either in the mood to listen to one of their songs specifically or like, we'll just get it randomly in my head. We'll just pop up there. That doesn't happen with ACDC, surprisingly. You know, that's an interesting point, because I think that's kind of the same for me. It's obviously been not the case lately, because I've been listening to and prepping for this episode. Yeah. But normally, yeah, I don't know how long I go between ACDC listens. When I when I want it, it scratches the itch. Yeah, and like when it's on, when it's on, I'm like, ooh, okay, yeah, you get it. Mm-hmm. But when it's not immediately in front of me... Out of sight, out of mind. It's never the song I'm going to order off the menu at the music restaurant. Okay. <laughs> All right, sure. Could I have just said not the song I would pick on the jukebox to make it a metaphor that made sense? Sure could have. Chose to make it a music restaurant. Yeah, but that's metaphors that make sense don't belong in this episode. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, this one gets six Ionits going right above Rascal Flats. Wow. That's weird it is weird and that's interesting too because rascal flats is another band you knew and thought you would really like and then didn't <laughs> and then ended up right next to this akadaka and racka flacka all in the same <laughs> akadaka and racka flacka what i'd like to change my units to racka flackas please <laughs> no you can't too many changes score of six at least it's a high six i guess yeah. It's still interesting to me, though, to know your musical tastes and to have the band last week get seven and, like, this get six with Rush, which I feel like you liked a lot less than this. It's just... It's weird. It's interesting. As for my top three... You get more than a third of the album this time. Yeah. In metaphor order. What's that mean? I don't know. <laughs> In album order, Hell's Bells, because you gotta. Mm. Honorable mention going to Shoot the Thrill. Cause you gotta. Respectable. Back in black. Cause you gotta. Pretty big skip. And you shook me all night long. Just for fun. What a <laughs> what a basic top three. Yeah. I mean, it's a basic album. I mean, if you asked people on the street to name ACDC songs, they would name <laughs> like three of these. Yeah. Wow. Not going for deep cuts at all. Deep cuts weren't any good. No love to the rest of this album. And I think the Spotify plays reflect that there's a reason that there's a giant drop off in plays and all the songs i didn't name it's true back in black is in the billions and shake a leg doesn't even have 20 million that's why back in black is my playlist pick okay and another straight playlist pick from you which means i just get to do my thing but of course back in black was going to make it on the playlist either way yeah so do you do the classic spin it thing and pick the one right next to mine with you shook me all night long Ooh, if I don't, I'm probably picking Shoot to Thrill. That's where I saw you going. That's what, Those were my guesses. I think I'm going to take Shoot to Thrill. Shoot to Thrill. Not that it's a deep cut, but it's a slightly deeper cut than You Shook Me All Night Long. Just so that we have some, you know, gun metaphor representation on the playlist. <laughs> that's, that's right. Got to get some of that soup. A little helping a soup for everyone. Pull the trigger. Shoot. Now it's a song about guns. <laughs> No one will ever know. No one will ever know what we're really singing. Look at my cleverly disguised sex song. <laughs> <laughs> really? Serve it up on a silver platter. Are you going to continue owning the album? 
you own a six. Is it is it even worth your shelf space? No, I'm gonna break it right now. Just, just <laughs> smash it, snap it in half symbolically to you know symbolize your disgust. Oh, there you go. But that's gonna do it for this episode of Spin It. We we were back in black. If you're interested in more Spin It content or in seeing how the heck we fit the back in black cover and hit our logo in it. <laughs> You can check out our socials, Instagram at SpinItPod, official, Twitter at SpinItPod, and of course on the web at www.spinitpod.com. Stay tuned next week for more AC December, where we don't talk about ACDC again, but we no. talk about another album that's not even related. We're moving out of AC December into... Next week. <laughs> into next week. <laughs> into <laughs> Consember. Oh, that's right. Next week is your pick. It's my pick. Stay tuned to see what album Connor chooses to bring to the podcast next. I'm excited. Deconber? Is that better? No, it's no, maybe it's not. worse. It's probably worse. <laughs> I think it's worse. It'll be your first pick since Journey. Mixing up the genre. I, try, I, try, I keep trying to genre hop to give you a nice taste of what I like in each of the genres to kind of give you clues as to what you should be bringing on this podcast when you want good scores out of me i don't care about the score out of you i mean i do but i don't care what it is i just like hearing them sometimes you do yeah yeah <laughs> stay tuned for that next week it'll be a blast the mixtapers gonna play against connor we're gonna heal a little next week i think so really we'll heal for daddy gene <laughs> be sure to like rate five stars and say hi and tell a friend who actively hates sewing machines about the podcast oh yeah if you know a sewing machine hater, tell them. Make sure they know us. Yeah, we're not a sewing machine. They won't hate us. And until next time, keep, keep spinning. spinning. All right. We got to give them a test. You're here. Outro test time. First, what was Connor a part of in his younger days? Should I say the answers? No, I think the audience should just have to guess the answers. Oh, they should tell us in the comments or on social what the answers were. Mm -hmm. So that was question one. What's question two? Question two. What is the difference between an alternating and a direct current? Question three. In a one-year time span, how often is Connor haunted by the memory of his Hell's Bell story? (laughs) This is a hard test. This is really tough. And the last question... What's the other ACDC album that Connor physically owns, aside from Back in Black? Tough. You got to listen to the episode again for the answers. Fair enough. Congratulations, you passed. Or Or you you didn't. didn't. You know, you got to find out for yourself. Honor system. I'll be honest, most people are probably going to miss question one. The answer is not what you might be thinking. Isn't it? No. It's not Bell Choir. It's Bell whatever I said. Whatever you said? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. 